Okay, so you got your Bibles. Let's go to James chapter number five. James chapter number five. And we're going to uh, try to put a bow around this book that we've been studying. Brother Rod started us off uh, dealing with the first part of the first chapter. Uh, and we know that the book of James is a book of how to's dealing with the practicalities of our faith. We understand and we know that that we have to at some point in time, guys, begin to do this stuff that we're talking about. If if we only come here and hear word preached and taught, but that word never becomes a rhema word, uh, an alive word that pushes us to make decisions that are different than, than, than what we maybe have been accustomed to making, then that word is not doing us any good. Jesus, amen, is the word. And he wants to have the preeminent place, Brenda, in our life. The preeminent place means he wants first place and first authority, Sean. He don't want to be number five on your to-do list. He wants first place and first authority. The Bible says God says, I'm a jealous God. And he says, you, you, you can't have no other gods before me if you're going to be with me. Right? And so what that means is, is that, uh, you know, as the book of James tells us, we're going to have to learn how to uh, to put this word into action and to take what we've been taught and begin to actually follow that. To begin to do it even when we don't feel it. I told you before and I'll say it again. Do the word and allow your feelings to catch up with your obedience. Amen. Do the word. And allow your feelings to catch up with your obedience. That means there are going to be some times when when you look into the book and and God is going to be telling you to do a certain thing or behave a certain way. And in your emotions, you really don't want to do that. You really don't want to behave that way. You really don't want to go and love on somebody who who you don't like right at that moment. Amen. How many of y'all love people but sometimes you don't like them? Hello? You love them, but sometimes you just don't like them. Sometimes you don't want to see them coming. All right. But you got to learn how to overcome those emotional strains that we experience so that we can get to the point where we are being doers of the word and not just hearers only. So let's start in James chapter number five and we'll begin our reading at verse number one. And so as we start to read here, the subject topic of this last chapter is the last days. And there are several miscellaneous topics discussed in this last chapter, but the key thought seems to be that of the second coming of Christ. That's in verses seven through nine. Okay, when a Christian honestly looks for the return of Christ, you will see the evidence in his daily life. And that's what we're going to try to unpack here. Okay, verse number one, let's read together. It says, look here, you rich people, weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you are counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's army. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. Verse 7 through 11. Let's read. It says what? Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who wait, who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. Verse number eight. You too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. 1911. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. Verse 10, for examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end. For the Lord is full of tenderness and what? And mercy. He's full of tenderness and mercy. So, uh, 
let's let's go through our our our, our points of this of this particular chapter, and let's see if we can unpack some things that can help us. So we start out uh, when a Christian honestly looks for the return of Christ, you will see the evidence in his daily life. Now, the first thing we look at is you'll see a, a, a Christian who's who's honestly looking for the Lord to return. He is patient when done wrong. He is patient when done wrong. How many of y'all can honestly say to me tonight that throughout your time as a believer, you've exercised patience when someone has done you wrong? Hmm. <laughs> you've, you've, you've exercised patience. You were patient when someone did you wrong. Uh, someone who's looking for Christ to come and who's expecting him to, to return at any moment allows that expectation to govern his behavior. There's one point in scripture that talks about the fact that he that a person who has the belief that Jesus could be coming at any moment, that belief causes that person to purify himself. In other words, when I when I when I'm of the opinion that Jesus could come at any moment, it forces me to make decisions differently than what I would if I thought that I had another thousand years before Jesus came back. Okay, so the the expectation of Christ's return the Bible tells us will cause a believer to purify himself. Now, keep in mind, when we look at the text, words of this text here, he begins to talk about, he gives a warning to those who are rich according to this world system, or in other words, people who had monetary means. Uh, keep in mind that during the time that the, the text was written, there was an extremely wide gap between the rich and the poor. As a matter of fact, the middle class, as we know it in today's society, was virtually non-existent at this time. You had a bunch of rich folks and a bunch of poor folks. Uh, in America, we prided ourselves on having a strong middle class for a number of years. And one of the things that drove having a strong middle class was having uh, high-paying high manufacturing jobs. Now, I don't know if y'all noticed what has happened uh, to the manufacturing sector in America over the last few years or so, but that manufacturing sector is disappearing. The days when, how many of y'all remember we had GM plant here in, uh, in, in Shreveport? How many of y'all remember we had AT&T or, or Western Electric down Mansfield Road back in the day? Where, where a person could walk out of high school and begin stepping to a job making $25, $30 an hour without a college degree. Uh, uh, those jobs are few and far in between nowadays. We went to basically a tech and a service-based economy. Okay. In other words, a service-based economy is when we we spend time trying to get people stuff that they want. You serving them, whether it's retail or, or restaurants and those type things. Uh, and then as 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 we become more technologically advanced, a lot of jobs now require a man uh, you to know something about computers, to know technology in order to get a decent paying job. And so so, but back during this period of time. Uh, even as we see the middle class in America starting to get squeezed during the time that this text was written, there was really no middle class. It was you had money or you didn't. And what was happening is the people who were rich and who had money were mistreating the poor people. Are y'all listening to me today? Okay, They were mistreating them. You had a scenario where it seemed that the gospel that was being preached appealed to the poor masses while the rich seemingly rejected, and not all of them, but they seemingly rejected the message of Christ, and they were also oppressing those Christians who were who were without means, those Christians who were who were uh, 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 didn't have a whole lot. So, so what what, what were the, the sins of the rich that, that were listed here? Number first of all, he names they were. He said the rich were hoarding. Y'all know what it means to hoard. Any of y'all out there are hoarders? Okay, a hoarder is somebody who gathers stuff and don't ever throw anything away. They have stuff packed away for 15 years, and when you go to clean up the house, you want to throw it away because they hadn't used it in 15 years, and really they wouldn't even know when it was there unless you brought it to their attention. But the moment you get ready to throw it away, ah, I was just getting ready to use that. Baby, it's been 15 years. 
Do y'all know anybody like that? Do y'all live in a house with people like that? <laughs> now, again, the, these people were, were hoarding. Watch what the text says. Let's go back to, to, to this, uh, uh, to, to the, uh, the first chapter, the first verse of the fifth chapter. Okay? Watch this. The first sin was he named was hoarding. And what he does is he shows that the rich had amassed their wealth only to have it to fade away. Their gold, their silver, and their garments, amen, will only be rushed and will be moth-eaten, okay? Uh, guys, I'm going to tell you something. One of the things that, that we got to learn is this, that whatever the Lord blesses us with, God wants it to be available to, to be used by him to do his ministry and his work in the earth realm. God blesses us to be a blessing. Uh, don't ever trust in uncertain riches, the Bible tells us, okay? Watch this. It says, look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Verse 2, your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eating rags. He says, your gold and silver have become worthless. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This treasure you have accumulated will stand as evidence against you on the day of judgment. They had heaped up treasures but forgot that it was the last day and that judgment was coming, guys. Okay? Uh, and so uh, the, the, their riches, their very riches that they had stored up was going to stand as a witness against them, amen, on the day of judgment. Now, let me say this, and I want to say this very clearly. God does not have a problem with you being rich. He does not have a problem with Christians being people of means. Otherwise, he would have had a, a problem with Job, and once Job lost everything, he wouldn't have restored it to him. The Bible says Job was the richest man in the East. And yet, Job was the one that God said when Satan was walking to and fro on the earth trying to figure out who he can pick on, God said what? Have you considered my servant Job? Right? Job picked out by God to be picked on by the enemy. I just want to know, as I always ask this question every time I make that reference, how many of us would relish being picked out by God to be picked on by the enemy? And I'm going to tell you something. Uh, th- there are times that, that when God allows the enemy to pick on us, and the enemy, can't, he got to get permission to do it. Y'all know that, right? He has to get co- p- permission to do it. Because whenever Satan tried to come around Job and try to mess with him, God, he, he told, what did he tell God? God, you know, I, I, you know listen, listen I, uh, if, you, if you remove the heads from around him, I'll, I'll, I'll make him curse you to your face. If you just get that protection from around him, I'll go get him. And see, God has a wall of protection around us. All of us as born again believers. The enemy can't do anything unless the Lord allows it. Are y'all listening to me today? Okay, watch this. Now. Watch this. Okay, so, so the first thing is, he names, they were hoarding, they were, they were storing up stuff uh, as if that's, that was going to last for eternity. So the first uh, uh, sin he listed to the rich was hoarding. A lot of times, people who have means are some of the most stingiest people in the world. Uh, they, they, now, now, there are people who, who have means who have been blessed and they are very generous in helping others and and helping those who are poor and who are less fortunate. But there are a lot of people who are rich and they are just as stingy, stingy as all get out. They go to a restaurant and they tip it, you know, on, the, on the sheet. They either have 10%, 15%, 20%, sometimes 25% suggested tip. Some of those folks tip 5% or less. Because if, 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 you, are, if you are rich but don't have a gospel mindset, you'll be a stingy person. Go, go there right quick, if you will. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Look at what the Bible says here as Paul writes to Timothy. Okay? So he names hoarding. Second thing he names was stealing wages. Rich people had poor people working for them, and they were stealing their wages. Wow. Ain't that something? 1 Timothy chapter number 6. And let's uh, let's start at, uh, if you will, glory to God. Start at verse number. Start at verse number seventeen. That's where we'll start. Seventeen. First Timothy chapter number six, verse number seventeen. 
They were stealing wages. The rich people had held back the honest wages of the poor people. And they used fraud to steal those wages. He lets them know that your sin will find you out, brothers. Watch what the text says here. Now, here's Paul writing to Timothy. Notice what he says. He's telling Timothy a pastor. So if Timothy is pastoring uh, a, a congregation, then by virtue of Paul making this statement to him, there are people in Timothy's congregation who are well off financially. Okay? And, and, and guys, I'm going to tell you something. My prayer is, is that God will make all of us in here well off financially so that we can bless the kingdom. Are you with me? Now, again, I don't believe that you can just use faith just to get stuff. But when we are walking in faith, God will bless us with material possessions. But my relationship with God is not just based on what God can give me. If if if, if he don't do anything else for me, that song says he's done enough. He saved my soul from a burning hell. Are you with me today? And so God saved me. So because he saved me, guess what? I'm going to make whatever I have available for his use. When he tells me to do a certain thing, I'm going to do it. If he tells me to give a certain thing, I'm going to give it because I wouldn't have it had it not been for him. But here's what I believe. I believe that God desires to prosper, amen, individuals in the kingdom of God. I, did, I believe that he desires to prosper members of EBC because the things that he wants to do through EBC is going to take some financial resources. And I'm not just talking about building bills. I'm talking about doing ministry. The things that he wants to do through EBC and, and, and the relationships and the connections he wants us to make and the, and the ministry efforts and outreach he wants us to do does require financial resources. So he's talking to Timothy who's pastoring a church, and he tells Timothy, he says what? Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, and watch this, not to trust in their money. He's talking to a pastor, Timothy, who's pastoring a group of people. Amen. He says, teach them not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Money is unreliable. The value of our dollar, or in America, the U.S. dollar, the value of our dollar fluctuates on a regular basis. Okay? Inflation can devalue your dollar. Amen? Uh, by that, I mean the price of stuff goes up even though your wages are still remaining the same. Is that correct? And so if the price of bread goes up, if the price of whatever item you buy goes up uh, and, 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 and you don't get any more money, then you're going to be at a, 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 a lesser advantage as you, talk, as you go about trying to purchase things. I give this example all the time because it, it always resonates in my mind. When we were kids growing up, we would walk or we'd ride the bicycles. From, from our house, me, Gary Johnson, some other them would ride down there to B&B Shopping Center. And we would go down there with a quarter, right there where Treyos is right now. We would go down there, down there with a quarter, and we'd be able to buy a 16-ounce drink, Coke, Dr. Pepper, whatever, and a bag of potato chips for one quarter. Did y'all hear me? One quarter. Now, guess what? Fast forward to the year 2017. That same 16-ounce drink is still in the store. Maybe say Brooks is now because B&B is gone. Or the local uh, 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 convenience store, that same 16-ounce drink and bag of potato chip is still being sold there. And I can take that same quarter from 1971 and said, I was here back in 71, and I bought that 16-ounce drink and bag of potatoes. Give it to me again. It's not going to happen. Because the value of my quarter, relative to the, to the inflationary rate of the cost of that product, is no longer in line. So the value of our money changes. So why would you trust money? Money, the value of money changes. It fluctuates. You may have your money in a, in a certain stock. 
And that stock tanks because that company that that stock was backing, amen, had some major incident. And now all of a sudden, they're, they're almost out of business. How many of y'all remember um, during, uh, it, was, it, was, it was several years back, uh, during, uh, there was this accounting firm that, uh, what was it? Was it Enron? Y'all remember the Enron disaster? Uh, how that company just imploded because of a lot of stuff that was going on. Uh, and uh, if you had Enron stock, man, you were in trouble. All right. It just imploded. They had a whole, you know, the, the, the regulatory agency came down on it real hard. So so don't my point is this. Don't trust money. Trust God. Because money changes. The value of your stuff can change. You may be in the house right now that the value of the house is going up. But if 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 the wrong kind of folks start moving in, that don't take care of their property, don't ever mow it. Uh, you you sitting in between two folks and the grass this high. And they got junk cars parked in, the, in, in, in their driveway. And you got a for sale sign on your house. Even though the neighborhood is nice, but your house ain't going to sell because I'm not going to come in there and buy your house. And I got to sit between this person, person over here with the grass this high. They don't ever cut it. And they got uh, three cars on blocks in the front driveway. It just devalued my house. Right? Y'all know I'm right. Okay? All right. So, so teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in where? In God, who richly give us all we need. God richly gives us all we need for our what? God gives us what? All we need for our enjoyment. So God don't have a problem with us having things to enjoy. He says, don't trust in that stuff, including your money. All right. Y'all got me? Let's keep reading. Keep reading. Tell them who is them. The rich Christians, the Christians who had means, who had abundance, because I'm telling you, God wants God wants us in here to have some abundance, because if I don't have an abundance, how can I bless you? If everything that I have is going to feed my family, what am I going to have to bless you with? Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Okay, so God wants to bless us with abundance so we can bless others. There's a purpose behind God wanting to bless us. Tell them to use their money to do what? To do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always being ready. Always being ready. Always being ready. Let me say it again. Always being ready. Now watch. Here's our mindset now. So now, uh, so now, uh, even though I'm, I'm searching for this job or I'm searching for this next business opportunity, I'm, I'm going with the mindset that as God blesses me, I want to be in a position to where I'm ready to share with others when he blesses me. So that now when I'm when I'm when I'm seeking more, it's not just to heat it upon myself. It's to be a blessing as God puts in my heart to share with others. Because he just said they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always being ready to do what? To share with others. Verse number 19. Let's read together. It says by doing this, they will be what? What, what will they be doing? Store, storing up, storing up the, their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience what? True life. So when God blesses us, we need to be in a position where we're going to do good works with it and we're going to share with those that are in need. As the Holy Spirit leads us, we bless others. Verse 20. Come on, let's read it. Timothy, guard what God has entrusted to you. Avoid godless Foolish discussions with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. In other words, don't 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 spend a whole bunch of time discussing some vain philosophy, some some foolish talk that really doesn't amount and it doesn't amount to a hill of beans and takes you off course of what God has set you on. See, Timothy had been entrusted with the gospel as a young pastor. God had graced him with the gospel message 
to pour into the lives of his people. And he could not afford to get sidetracked with these godless, foolish discussions. Who those, he said, with those who, who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. They thought they knew so much. They thought they were so smart and they thought they were going to trick you with all these vain questions. Paul says, don't get involved with all that kind of discussion. Y'all with me? All right, let's get back to James right quick. So we know God doesn't have a problem with us having money, right? Right? I think you need to say, say, God don't have a problem with me having money. He just doesn't want the money to have me. Okay? Love of money is the root of all evil. Okay? OJ had that song, money, 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 money. Money. Says some people got to have it. Some people really need it. And they do things, do things, bad things. Don't you be guilty of that. Some of my millennials respond, what are you talking about money, 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 pastor? Uh, I, and I realize that some of my references don't necessarily connect with some of our, our younger uh, generation of people. Uh, but maybe y'all, do y'all listen to old school music? Y'all do? So we got to sit down one day. Let's, 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 y'all got to tell me what's out there, okay? Because uh, will y'all keep me informed? Okay, gotcha. All right, thank you, thank you. All right, watch. All right, let's get back to James. Are y'all with me? All right, so, so the sins of the rich. First of all, uh, they were hoarding. Second of all, they were stealing wages. They used fraud to steal the wages of the poor. He, he lets them know that their sins are going to find them out. All right, and third... He names extravagant living. Let's go to James uh, 5 and 5. Extravagant living. Okay. Again, I want to repeat. God wants us to enjoy the blessings of life. However, he does not want us to be wasteful and living in luxury while robbing others who are in need. Okay. So you've spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. He says, really, you just set yourself up for judgment. So, so he's, they're extravagant living. In other words, that extravagant living was at the expense of those folks who they were cheating. All right? Be fair in all of your business dealings. I know Christians who are, I wouldn't do business with because they, they, they're not honest. Okay? Um, and then there are people who will put a cross up on the window or on their card and don't bit more serve Jesus than the man on the moon. They just want to try to make you think, well, they are a Christian. They're going to be honest. Always evaluate situations, okay? Because there are people out there who are supposed to be honest, but they're not. Amen? Lastly, he names uh, injustice. Go to verse number six here. He names injustice. The rich took advantage of their power to abuse and kill the poor. And so these Christians didn't, didn't resist they left their case in the hands of the righteous judge, Jesus Christ. Watch this. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. Okay? Go with me, if you will, to Romans, the 12th chapter, verse number 17, right quick. Hurry, hurry. Romans 12, verse number 17. Let's read that real quickly. Y'all still with me? All right, watch this. Just look, at, look at what the text says. Who's the writer of this text? Come on. The Apostle Paul. He's writing to this church of the saints at Rome. Notice what he tells them. Never pay back evil with more evil. I know it's tempting. I know you want to get them back. Come on now, don't look at me. I know y'all, you got your Bible in your hand now, but there are some things that have happened to you that you want, you kind of want to get, some, get, get a little payback. Because you, you know, payback feels good to the flesh. The big payback. Another reference, another reference, okay? The text says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. So that everyone can see that you are honorable. See, if, if, you, if you don't Take this to heart, you'll find yourself sinning just to try to get somebody else back. You, you, I'm gonna say this, you know, this happens, and you know, it, this happens sometimes in in relationships. 
Um, y'all ever heard of revenge sex? Y'all heard that term before? Revenge sex means that, okay, if somebody cheated on me, then I'm going to go sleep with somebody else to get that person back because I want them to feel the same way I felt. Now, how dumb is that? In other words, you're going to render evil for evil thinking that your evil is going to hurt that person. But when you decide to jump into evil, you're hurting yourself because you belong to God. Oh, it don't have to be revenge sex. It could be something else. All right. They, they, they uh, did this to me, so I'm going to take this from them. He says, never. Everybody said never. Never pay back evil with more evil. I can make it up. It's right there. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Because I'm going to tell you something. Our testimony is valuable. And, and we don't want to do anything that causes our testimony to be diminished. And, and returning evil for evil will cause it to happen. You think you're really hurting the person, but you're hurting yourself. Look at verse 18. Let's read it. Come on, let's go. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Right? Next verse. Come on, let's go. Dear friends, never take revenge. Never. Listen to me. Never take revenge. Why? Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I'll pay them back, says the Lord. So don't, don't jump in the Lord's place to do that that's been reserved for him. You leave it alone. Now, I'm not saying you don't address an issue that took place, but don't go try to get somebody back because they did you wrong. Hello? It just said it right there. Vengeance belongs to who? To Lord. Okay. Next verse. Come on, let's go. 20. Gotta Instead, <laughs> now watch this. You got to be really prayed up to do this. You got to be prayed up to do this. You got to have your mind right, Lou, to do this. Look, Lou says, if your enemies are hungry, I want to know how many. <laughs> Lou, you like a lot of do I really have to? If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will be heaping burning coals of shame on their head. You know they've been talking about you. Doing fellowship here, go hug them. Tell them it's good to see you. Huh? That's what text says, right? Verse 21, let's read it. It says, don't let evil conquer you But conquer evil how? By doing good. By doing good. By doing good. By doing good. Okay? Look, look at the next verse for me. This is a good measure. 22. Let's go. Over there? Am I, that, that's the end of the chapter. I'm, I'm, I'm in the wrong chapter. I was reading something that was good, but I'm in the wrong chapter. Go, go, go to the next chapter, though. 13 and 1. Watch this. Watch this. Look at this. Everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. And verse two says this. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. Okay. so as your pastor, I'm telling you right now, uh, I'm reading the scripture to you. Don't render evil for evil. And as your as your pastor, I'm I'm in a position of authority. You've entrusted. Amen. uh, You entrusted God and you entrusted me to be your spiritual uh, uh, shepherd, under shepherd, right? Because otherwise you wouldn't join the church if you didn't trust me to be your spiritual under shepherd. As your spiritual under shepherd, I'm, under shepherd, I'm telling you right now, don't try to get people back because that will ruin you. Let God handle all that. You know, when God said, be ye not deceived, God is not mocked, whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. When you sow good, you reap good. When you sow bad, see, you reap bad. So don't you get in the middle of that. Let God do the reciprocity process. Let him do the, the, the repaying, okay? Let's get back to James right quick. Come on, let's go. So the, the rich were taking advantage of their power to abuse and to kill the poor. 
but these Christians here left it in the hands of the Lord. So the second, the second thing, he, he addressed the sins of the rich under, you know, being patient when you're done wrong. And he talks about the patience of the poor in verses 7 through 11. James encourages these Christians by asking them to get their eyes on the promise of Christ's return. Uh, let, let's, let's go through 7 through 11 real quickly, right quick. Verse 7 through 11 in James says, Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. Next verse says, you too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. Now, guys, the word patient does not mean that the believer sits idly by doing nothing, man. Rather, it carries the idea of endurance. Everybody say endurance. In other words, bearing the burdens and fighting the battles until the Lord comes. And he uses several illustrations to hammer home this lesson on patience. He talks about the farmer. The farmer plants the seed and prepares the soil but doesn't get a crop immediately, right? You don't plant corn seed one day and the next day the ear of corn is already fully developed and you can pick it the next day. It takes time. It takes patience, right? Am I right about it? The farmer plant, God sends the rain to water the soil and then comes the harvest. Even so, the Christian must be patient knowing that in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Everybody say due season. See, when your due season is, I don't know, but God knows. But he says, in due season, we'll we, we, we reap if we don't faint. The word faint there in the case of he means to lose hope, to lose heart. And there are times when things will come into your life that will cause you to be on the verge of losing hope and to lose heart. Don't you dare turn loose your faith. Don't you dare let the situation that you're going through steal your joy. You get in the word of God put scripture before your face, begin to pray and say, God, mold me, shape me, teach me through this process. Don't you allow what you're going through to disrupt you from standing on God's word. Are y'all tracking with me? He says, you too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord. It's near. So he uses the, the example of a farmer. A farmer plants, but he has to be patient, okay? Because uh, in due season, he's going to reap. He also uses the illustration of the judge. Let's go to verse number nine. Verse nine. Let's read. It says, don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. See, apparently what had happened is the trials that some of these believers and Christians were going through had made some of them critical. And, and, and when you're going through something, if you're not careful, you can become critical, judgmental. You can become a sourpuss. You know what a sourpuss is? <laughs> somebody who walks in and, and looks looks mean and and downtrodden all the time and 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 you can't you can't get to that point some of these people have begun to come they, they started being church complainers don't ever sit next to a church complainer i know when we when we feel up here somebody's got to sit next to the church complainer if you happen to sit next to the church complainer and they're complaining throughout the whole service about the music you loud. Yeah, I don't know why they're doing that. Look at that choir dancing up there like that. Why are they moving like that? I don't know why they played that song. And you know, I don't know why I'm still here. Just complain. So if you sit next to a complainer, what you got to do is just tap them on the, on the shoulder, tap them on the leg, say, listen, all is well. God is in control. Just lift up your eyes. To the heel from with company, whatever you need to say. But don't let them sit there and complain to you and you sit over there and nod. Don't you nod at that complaint. Just look at them and say, Do we need to pray right now? Do we need to go outside and start praying? Because you'll find you'll have complainers in the church. And so as as these people were facing persecution, some people handle adversity well, and others start to murmur and complain. Okay? So he gives the example. The judge said, the judge is at the door. He's at the doors. He hears what is said, and he will come quickly and make things right. Murmuring and complaining is a serious sin among God's people. I told you uh, on Sunday morning, we were talking about preparing for greater. I told you three things that affected Israel. Their, their problem was, number one, they walked in fear. Number two, what? They walked in unbelief. And number three, they were complaining a whole lot. Fear, unbelief, and complaining. 
Those things will knock you off of your purpose and knock you off of your path of destiny. Don't 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 get into that. Let the word of God rise up on the inside of you. Put the word of God before your face. Speak it even when you don't feel it. Get before put it before your eyes. Say, I am a man God's child. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. It may not look like it right now, but I know who I am in Christ Jesus. No weapon formed against me is going to prosper. I will stand in faith. God, you are a way maker. You are a miracle worker, a promise keeper. And I will stand. I don't care what it looks like. I don't walk by what it looks like. I walk by faith and not by sight. Because if you're not careful, the stuff that happens in life the relationships that we deal with and people will have you complaining and murmuring. Okay? And so we can't afford to do that. So he gives the example of the judge. He gives the example of the prophet. Look in verse 10 and 11. Watch this. He says, for, example, for examples of patience and suffering, <laughs> for, for examples of patience in suffering. Now, guys, I wish I could tell you that being a Christian would would exempt you from suffering. But I can't do that. I can't I can't I can't promise you that because you say you may not have to suffer through some things. Because it rains on the just as well as the unjust. And 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 when 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 it comes knocking at your door and and, and almost like the old folks say, uh, if it hadn't came, just, just keep on living. You keep on living, trouble is going to come knocking at your door at some point in time. The, the, the attack of the enemy will come your way, but you got to stand strong and don't complain, don't murmur, but stand strong in faith, confess, amen, mountain be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And don't doubt in your heart, but believe those things you say are going to pass. Jesus said you have what you say. Okay? But murmuring and complaining is not the answer. For example, the patient suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Verse 11. Come on, let's go. Uh, it says, we give great honor to those who endure under suffering. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. So he gave example of Job there, amen. Regardless of what trials may come into our lives, we know that God is full of love and mercy and that all things, according to Romans 8 and 28, work together for our good. Not in isolation, but work together for our good. There are things that will happen in your life isolated by itself. You can't see no purpose in it. You can't see no value in it. But when you place that together with something else and God will take that thing that seemed to be so bad and turn around and use it to perfect you. How do you know that, Pastor? I've seen him do it in my life countless number of times. I've seen it do in this girl's life countless number of times. Where that thing that seemed to be bad, that situation that seemed to be just knock us out of the water, God took it and used it to develop us and to grow us. Sunday we talk about that masters of character acquisition that Moses had to go through. Come on now, y'all. Y'all know Moses. The first 40 years of his life, he was considered to be an unqualified success. The next 40 years, he, by all accounts, he was considered to be a failure. But the last 40 years, come on. The last 40 years, he walked down to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. The last 40 years, he stretched out his rod and they walked across the Red Sea on dry land. The last 40 years, he got the commandments on Mount Sinai. The last 40 years. So don't ever think that because where you are now, you are a failure. God just using that. He's going to put it together with something else. Come on now. And he's going to work it together for your good. You're going to look back on it and say, you know what? Man, that was the worst time of my life, but God, I see your hand. As I look back, I couldn't see you now. I couldn't see you back then, but I trusted you. The old folks say, even when I can't see you, amen, I'm, I'm still going to trust. Right, I got I to finish. So we give great honor to those who, who endure under suffering. For instance, Job, go to verse, go, go, go to verse 12 right quick. So the, second, the, 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 the next thing we look at is, uh, you know, 
first of all, we said he's patient when done wrong. Okay? When a Christian honestly looks for the return of Christ, he's going to be patient when he's done wrong. And he's going to be pure in speech. Pure in speech. Look at what he says. But most of all, my dear, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. Now, again, this is not talking about a legal oath. You sworn in at trial. Don't go up to my eye. You know, Bible says I ain't take no oath. And I ain't going to say that. I ain't going to tell a lie. <laughs> no, you better take the legal oath. As a matter of fact, uh, one account says that, that even Jesus uh, uh, in Matthew 26 uh, uh, took an oath at his trial. So James is not forbidding legal oath. He's telling us to have such honest speech that we don't have to back it up with our promises. We don't have to back up our promises with an oath. In other words, when we say we're going to do something, we don't have to say, I swear before God. How many of y'all remember those days? I swear before God. And that used to mean something, but now people are so heathenistic, they can swear before God and still lie to your face. Y'all know what I'm talking about? How many of y'all remember the days, and it's always, how many of y'all remember the days when, when you were having a, 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 an intense discussion about something and, uh, and you really want to know that the person was real? Somebody went and got the Bible, didn't they? And we got the Bible. Ah, right, you tell the truth, put your hand on the Bible. And literally, guys, literally, if a person put their hand on that Bible, they wouldn't lie because they respected the word of God so much. But I'm going to tell you, nowadays, people don't respect the word of God. And they'll put their hand on that Bible and lie frontwards and backwards. Y'all with me? But the word of God, he says, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. People will soon figure out whether or not you're trustworthy or not. What about you, a man or woman of your word? Do you say stuff and don't follow up? Or you say stuff and then do the exact opposite? Never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. Okay? All right. The rich men did not keep their promise in this text, but the Christian must always keep his word even if it hurts him personally. Third thing, he's prayerful in trials. If you're looking for Jesus to come back, you're going to be prayerful during your trials. Now, again, let me say this. The Bible does not promise that Christians will have an easy life. But the Bible does tell us what to do when trials come. Some Christians will be afflicted. That is, will go through a trial specifically planned by God. And what should they do? You got to pray. We already talked about what happens when we pray. Okay, let's, let's, let's move on now. 13 through 18, real quickly. Let's go. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should what? Pray. Are any of you happy? You should do what? Sing praises. Next verse. Are any of you sick? What should you do? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you. Stop right there. Quit getting mad when people don't come and pray over you and you ain't called nobody and told you you even sick. The text says call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you. Pick up the phone like you do all the other time and say, I need prayer. Come lay hands on me. I'll come to the altar. We're going to get the anointing all out and, and anoint you with all. Look at what it says. You should call the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with all in the name of the Lord. All the symbolic of the Holy Spirit is present. Next verse. Come on, let's go. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. Who make you well? The man with the glove? No. The Lord. It ain't, there's no magic in my hands or anybody else's hand that lay hands on you. There, there, there's power and there's anointing, there's healing power in the Holy Spirit's presence. The Lord will make you well, and if you have committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Verse 16. Watch this. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces what? Wonderful results. Pray through in trials. 17, 18. Let's go. Here we we go. Elijah was, now watch it. What he does is he he names somebody who did something supernatural, but he says, 
the supernatural exploits that he did wasn't because he was a supernatural person in the standpoint that he was different from us. He says Elijah was as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years because Elijah spoke a word from the Lord. He's just like you and I. No different. Well, one of your prophets of God, preacher, listen, he's, the text says he was just as human as we are. So if Elijah can pray and it don't rain for three and a half years, surely I'll be able to pray and, and stop a thunderstorm from coming through. What you think? Some of y'all don't believe that, do you? Look at the next verse. Watch this. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. A man is looking for Jesus Christ to come and in time he's prayerful in his trials. Okay? James does not promise that God will remove the affliction, but he does suggest that God will give the grace necessary to endure the trial. Some stuff you got to just go through. But while you're going through, you got to know that God is with you in the midst of that trial. Can I get a witness? Come on, 19 and 20 real quick. Last one, he is persistent in soul winning. If you're looking for Jesus to come back at any moment in time, you don't want your family to be lost. You don't want people who you know to be lost. You don't want anybody to be lost. So you, you, you're persistent in trying to win souls for Christ. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, look at what it says. You can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Y'all with me? Okay. So, so guys, I, I, you know, this, this chapter here um, gives us, uh, walks us down through that. We can be, sometimes we got to be careful. We, we can be so wrapped up in our own trials that we forget the needs of the lost and of the brother who strayed away. And we don't want to be in that position. We want to always be mindful of what God wants us to do and what he has, what work he has for us to do. The basic meaning of these verses is that saints should seek to bring wandering brethren back to the Lord. Okay. So be mindful of our brother and sisters who we're in connectivity with. And when we see them straying, let's try to go and grab them and bring them back. Amen. All right. Give the Lord a hand of praise. God bless you.